We're going to have a look at that Bible passage together, so please do keep your Bibles open, or if you haven't opened one yet, now's a good opportunity, page 1114, 1114, and it's Acts chapter 18, we see the heading there in Corinth, and uh, should, we just, uh, should we just pray? Father, we are grateful for this precious record of what you were doing in the life of Paul and others in the city of Corinth many, many years ago. Thank you, Father, that today we have the same good news, we have the same Lord Jesus, and we have the same Holy Spirit present amongst us. Let me pray, Father, as we look at your word, as we study it together, that you would teach us, that you would strengthen us for the mission you have given us, and that we would develop a greater trust in your power to work even through us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, um, oh, given the title uh, to speak on the gospel in the workplace, and I assume this was some kind of um, parting joke of Alan's to give me this. Obviously, uh, everyone knows that vicars don't work or they work one day a week. I mean, anyway, my workplace is, uh, is a church where many of the people are Christians already. It's not really um, uh, like uh, many other people's. Um, and it reminds me a little bit of uh, an old, old sketch. Some of you might remember, not the nine o'clock news. Do you remember that? But it took the mickey at once out of another old program. Sorry, younger people, I don't expect you to remember it. Um, but it was funny anyway. Um, and uh, and it, there was another old program uh, called In at the Deep End with Chris Searle. And Chris Searle um, was this presenter who every time he would try some new challenge. And so he would try uh, horse dressage or rally driving or something like this. Anyway, not the nine o'clock news, took the mickey out of it and uh, did Chris Searle in at the deep end, open heart surgery. You know, you've got, uh, in you go, Chris. See, see how you get on with that. Feels a little bit like that for me. Here's something I'm totally unqualified to talk about, but we trust that God's word is relevant and helpful for us. And Acts chapter 18 is a, is a great place to look if we're thinking about sharing the gospel in the workplace, because it is one of the places where we see actually Paul in the workplace with the gospel. He arrives in Corinth and he gets a job or, or takes up his self employment as a tent maker. Now, uh, Paul's strategy was to go generally to major cities. He's been just before to uh, Athens, which was one of the great intellectual centres. He's been to Ephesus, which is one of the great religious, spiritual centres, and now he's in Corinth, which is particularly known as a commercial centre, a great trading port. And I think it's a reminder uh, for uh, those of us who are, who are in churches in Norwich that actually we've got a great responsibility because we're in a strategic place. If Paul had come to Norfolk, he would have come to Norwich and he would have started a church in Norwich. And, uh, and we've got this job to carry on now, because Paul isn't here, to witness to the people of Norwich. Paul would choose these great strategic cities so that the gospel could then filter out into the surrounding countryside. So it's worth thinking that we have a, a strategic place here. Now, Paul's job was tent making. You see that in verse 3. He was a tent maker, as were Priscilla and Aquila stayed, and he worked with them. They were 
immigrant labourers, the equivalent of our, our fruit pickers or, or Polish plumbers. Uh, they'd come over from Tarsus, and, um, and in the area around Tarsus, it was well known for tent makings, a particular kind of goat skin that they would get there. And Corinth was a place where, just as we are always desperate for Polish plumbers, they were desperate for people to come make tents because they'd have the Corinthian games every few years. And if you're a tent maker, it's a little bit like working for millets in the middle of Glastonbury. Everyone wanted a tent so they could pitch up at the Isthmian games in Corinth. And the workplace for Paul here was the front line for the gospel, as it still is today. Uh, Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback Community Church in America, was once asked, where is your church? He was asked in an interview. And his answer was something along the lines of, um, well, uh, Bob, he's a mechanic. He he works at the garage. And uh, then there's uh, Shirley. She's an accountant. She's in the office on Main Street. You know, where is your church? Well, it's out there all through the week, on the front line for the gospel. And if you work, you're probably spending about half your waking life, something like that, in your workplace. And that's a significant proportion of your time, perhaps more time than you spend with anybody else, or at least waking. And so it's a significant place that you're called to witness for the Lord Jesus, by your words and your actions. And if you're like me, you'll often find it scary to share the gospel, particularly in a workplace. I, I worked in personnel in Sainsbury's for a few years before I went to Vicar Factory. And, uh, and while I was there, um, on my first day, I met a Christian, which is great. It was his last day at work. <laughs> and I didn't meet another Christian again for about another three years. Now, I'm not saying there weren't any other Christians there, about 500 people where I was working, but I didn't meet one. And it often felt like you were out there on your own when you're trying to tell anyone the good news of the Lord Jesus. Seems crazy. Well, just this one oddball believes it. Now, Paul had, uh, had a hard time here in Corinth, and in verses 9 to 10, The Lord uh, speaks to him in the midst of his hard time with a harder time yet to come. And he gives him this great message, verses 9 to 10. He says in a vision, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So I want to focus on those words right at the heart of this passage, uh, really two parts to it. First of all, uh, it's all about keep on speaking. The first part is because the Lord is with you. Second part, keep on speaking because the Lord has many in this city. So first of all, keep on speaking. The Lord is with you. Uh, There can be few words, I think, in the Bible that can be so encouraging as to hear the Lord is with you. You don't really need anything else, do you, if you know the Lord is with you. And we see over and over again in the Bible, that's the message that is given or spoken about people. Uh, Joseph, in the depths of his worst moment, the Lord was with him. Joshua, before the conquest, the Lord is with him. David, before Goliath. Israel in Exodus, and when they're coming back from, uh, uh, sorry, from the uh, exile, when they're coming back to rebuild... 
You think of Jesus meeting his disciples out on the, on the lake, and he says, it's me, it's I, here I am. And right at the end of the gospel, as Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, the last message he leaves us is, I am with you until the very end of the age. We don't need anything else if we've got him with us. Now here, of course, it's specific to Paul. There's a specific message that's being delivered to him. But it's true for all of us, because Jesus has told us that that is true for all of us. And for Paul here, being told, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you, what is he saying? He's saying, ultimately, you're on the winning side. Whatever happens, the Lord is with you. This can't go wrong in ultimate terms, and you're on the winning side. Now, for Paul specifically, it meant here that you will not be harmed. Now, that's not always what it means for Christians. To have the presence of the Lord with us might mean martyrdom as much as protection. But what we do know is absolutely the final outcome is secure because the Lord is with us. And it's shown in this passage, I think, in, in three ways in particular, verses 1 to 4. Uh, these characters, Aquila and Priscilla, mentioned here in verse 2, native of Pontus, had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Now, the Roman historian Suetonius tells us that the Jews were expelled from Rome at this time on account, he says, of one Crestus for causing civil disturbance. And it seems that uh, he got the name slightly confused, and it wasn't Crestus, but Christos, easily done. It was Christ. Because of uh, the message about Christ, the Jews causing civil disturbance were sent out of Rome. And it must have seemed to Priscilla and Aquila what an absolute disaster you know, they're building their lives, conducting their business, sharing the gospel with their neighbours. But the Lord was with them, turned things around, and it meant that they were here in Corinth and able to help Paul to start a new church to witness in this great commercial centre. Then uh, verses 6 to 7, we see Paul rejected from the synagogue. Disaster? Well, it was an opportunity for Paul in verse 7 to start a new base for gospel ministry right at the heart of Gentile territory with this uh, chap, Titius Justus. And then verses 12 to 13, the uh, Jewish synagogue decide to prosecute Paul. Now, in uh, the Roman Empire, there were (coughs) legal, licensed religions, and the Jewish religion was a religio licita, which meant that it was a a legal, not illicit religion, and they're free to practice and to proselytise. Now, what they're taking Paul to court for is they're, they're wanting to say this is an illicit religion. And had um, Gallio then spoken against Christianity, he would have set a precedent that would have meant that Paul's ministry was inhibited and Christian ministry would be inhibited across the Roman Empire. But what happened? Well, the Lord was with them. And Gallio says, no, this is a Jewish issue, which means that he set a precedent from this point onwards that Christianity could enjoy the protection of being a religio licita along with Judaism. So 
Things turned around where they had thought, we'll do for Christianity once and for all. Actually, they established the legal basis for Christianity to spread in the Roman world. The Lord is with us in our mission, and we need to know that just as Paul did then. We need to know, uh, particularly, this is a critical time for us in our society. Uh, From a legal point of view, decisions are made seemingly virtually every day about the place of the Christian gospel in our culture and in our country. Just recently, a social worker called Felix Ngole, who uh, had been studying social work at the University of Sheffield, um, he was... Um, he was thrown off the course because he made a a post on his Facebook page in support of heterosexual marriage exclusively. He was thrown off his course. He's lost the appeal. So his career, his studies and future career as a social worker have ended because of something he said on Facebook from a Christian perspective. Victoria Wastney was a a senior occupational therapist, still is. Uh, She's recently lost her appeal against discipline for sharing her faith with a Muslim colleague. She uh, gave her colleague a book and offered to pray uh, with the colleague and invited her to a couple of events. Now, it's hard to know all the details behind the headlines... But what we do know is that these will set precedents. And for those of us who are in the workplace, uh, when my wife was a senior occupational therapist, she was able to uh, talk freely about her faith in the workplace, and people came to Christ as a result. Maybe someone in that situation now would think twice about it. And it makes us, doesn't it? Uh, It makes us fear. It makes us uh, fear rejection on a personal level, that other people will just think less of us. They won't want to hang around us. It makes us uh, fear that we'll get trouble at work if we are telling anybody about our faith, you know, what kind of difficulty, who will think that we're oppressing them or trying to harm them in some way. Will we get into trouble? I think it makes us fear putting people off. Do you ever get that feeling that you think... um, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to share the gospel and and sort of say the wrong things. I might put them off. Um, It's kind of backwards thinking, isn't it? Like someone's more likely to become a Christian if I say less about it. I don't quite know how that works, but I think that that is a common fear. And then we go into retreat and we think, um, well, let's just tell ourselves that actions are more important than words. Let's not worry about saying anything about the gospel. Let's just witness with our lives. And then we kind of tell ourselves, well, it's not that important. They're fine anyway. They're good people. They're all right. They don't really need to know about the Lord Jesus. And perhaps we get into hiding our real selves. And the person they meet is someone that we carefully sculpt and prepare and brand for public presentation, whilst the real us, the Christian us, is hidden from public view. It's a dangerous place to be, isn't it? And of course, we must be careful at work. Yes, we're called, of course, to confess the Lord Jesus Christ openly as Christians, but 
When we go into the workplace, we go there with a contract and we agree to a set of rules, we agree to somebody being the boss in that place and to the, and to the rules that they put in place. And if we're going to work there, we have to abide by those rules or choose another job. But nevertheless, somehow as Christians, we've got to find a way and keep a space open to keep speaking because the Lord is with us. We must speak. Now, of course, actions will never make up for the need for words. It's good to give a Christian witness by our lives, but it won't replace the need for words. Tim Keller uh, gives a a good illustration of uh, how important it is to use words. There are some things that we can pass on by demonstration and imitation. He gives the example of someone tying a tie. If you want to show a child how to tie a tie, well, you do a bit of demonstration and you guide them through the process because you're trying to pass on an action. Now, if the Christian gospel were all about good works that we do, then we could pass it on by demonstration and imitation, but it's not. It's not about what we do. It's about what God has done in Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. And for that, we cannot demonstrate it. No one can repeat it. We can only tell them the good news of what Jesus has done. And so we must use words. And so we want to think in our workplaces, not just how can I show my life, but how can I speak these words? Or how can I bring them into a place where they will hear these words, the good news of Jesus Christ? And it's interesting here that Paul didn't work alone. He uh, established this tiny little cell, this tiny community with Priscilla and Aquila, and then, of course, others were drawn in. And it's worth considering as well, he went to the synagogue, that was his practice, and... Perhaps you have never thought about this too much, but do you know the most common way for somebody to hear the good news of Jesus and to become a Christian is through coming to church? Okay, earthquake, ground shaking. It's through coming to church. And so it's worth thinking, you know, actually... Is there somebody that I can invite to church? And we might sort of bulk at that. We might think, oh, oh no, it's too much of a leap for them to come to church. Well, it might be. You have to judge that carefully. But actually, coming into the presence of God in the Christian community is the most effective, statistically speaking, way of people coming to Christ, even more so than uh, you know, Christianity Explored or an Alpha course or something like that, which we often pour lots of effort into. It's what we do Sunday by Sunday. Bring someone along. Invite them. Many people become Christians that way. Now, uh, we at uh, St. Andrews have uh, uh, been running a, a Thursday lunchtime talk for people who work in the city for a number of years. It's called the City Talks on a Thursday lunchtime. And we do that because we believe that 
bringing people together, bringing Christians together is a great encouragement for us as Christians. We help encourage one another to live the Christian life in the workplace. But also, if you're working, let's say in the, in the centre of Norwich, the person on the desk next to you, uh, maybe you live here, uh, somewhere around the church here, the person on the desk next to you, they might be travelling in from Great Yarmouth. It's very difficult then, isn't it, to invite them to church on a Sunday morning. So we just try and make it easy for people to be invited into the Christian community and into the hearing of the word of God there in the city where people are, where people have come together. Um, Perhaps in your workplace you've got a Christian union. Perhaps you could have a Christian union somewhere where you could invite people to hear the gospel in the Christian community. Worth thinking about. So uh, keep on speaking. The Lord is with you. Go for it. Secondly, keep on speaking. The Lord has many in this city. Now, at first sight, particularly the way that this, uh, the, the, the Greek's been broken up into separate little English sentences, it sounds, in verses 9 and 10, as if perhaps God is saying to Paul, no one is going to harm you because I have many people in this city. Uh, kind of as if there are lots of Christians here, Paul, who will protect you. Or perhaps even if there aren't many Christians, maybe people would read it as saying there are many good people who in some way kind of belong to God in a, in a kind of uh, distant way, like Gallio maybe, who will protect Paul. But actually that's not the flow of the sentence in the Greek. Um, the true flow of the words is, rather, do not be afraid, keep on speaking and do not be silent. And then the Lord gives two reasons. No one's going to attack and harm you because I have many people. uh, Sorry, he says, first of all, for I am with you. And then secondly, because I have many people in this city. So keep on speaking because I have many people in this city. Now, what does that really mean then? It doesn't mean that because there are lots of Christians there who are going to protect him. Rather, keep on speaking because the Lord Jesus has many people whom the Father has given to him who need to hear what Paul has to say, who've not themselves yet come to faith in Jesus Christ. So uh, the Lord Jesus said in uh, John chapter 6, verse 37, let's look it up later, he said, all the Father gives me will come to me. All the Father gives me will come to me. And then chapter 10, verse 16, he says, I have other sheep, not of this fold, i.e. not of the Jews who are with me here now. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So Jesus is talking about those who've already been given to him in eternity by the Father, and they're awaiting the voice of Jesus, the good shepherd, to respond and follow him. And the words that's used for people in verse 10 is the word laos, means that God's called out people. It's the word regularly used of God's called out people, called out to him from all the world. So what we've got here is the picture that as Paul keeps on speaking, those who have been chosen and given to Jesus by the Father will hear the shepherd's voice in the sound of the gospel. And Jesus' sheep will hear it and by the help of the Holy Spirit will respond to the shepherd's voice and follow him. I find this a great encouragement and I'm sure you do if you're trying to share the gospel. The idea that there are people around you 
whom the Lord has already chosen, already marked out as his, and they will respond to the gospel. They will hear it, and the Spirit will work in their hearts and bring them alive. And here in Corinth, we see some, uh, a range of characters. Verse 7, it's Titius Justus. Uh, he was a Greek, but he'd already got interested in the God of Israel. Then verse 8, Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and all his household. And then verse 17, Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler. By the time you read 1 Corinthians, as Paul's writing a little bit later, he's actually become a fellow worker with Paul. It's amazing, isn't it, that they had a synagogue ruler, um, but he left the synagogue and became a Christian. So they got another synagogue ruler. And when he failed them, they beat him up, he turned to Christ and became a worker with Paul. Wonder what happened to their third synagogue ruler. And we tend to think, oh look, if I say anything, they'll only reject it. They'll only say no. I mean, there's just no point. I'll, I'll wait for a really good opportunity. And we think, you know, I'll wait till somebody actually kneels down at my feet and grabs onto my trousers and says, tell me the way to be saved. And of course, if somebody did that, um, then, then, we were, then we would say, no, I'll wait for a better opportunity. Uh, some, something that's really clear. We think people are going to say no, but not at all. Interestingly, a recent, uh, very detailed survey run by the Church of England and the Evangelical Alliance and a couple of other groups found that after a conversation with a Christian, one in five people would be interested in having an experience or an encounter with Jesus. It's interesting, isn't it? You might think maybe 1% would really be interested after a conversation with me. One in five people would be interested to know more, to meet Jesus after a conversation. We tend to think we'll be rejected, but no, one in five, one in five ready to hear more. And uh, interestingly, the Archbishop's um, Pentecost initiative in prayer was to encourage people to pray for five people for exactly that reason. Pray for five, because there's one of them, statistically at least, who's going to want to hear more. Now the parable of the sower says it might even be one in four, doesn't it? Now the challenge for us at work then, and, uh, and in our networks, is first of all, let me encourage you to pray, and to make a serious business of it. To think, who has the Lord put around me, And don't just think, who do I think is most likely to become a Christian? Because Sosthenes was the least likely person imaginable. He was leading the charge against the gospel there in Corinth. But pray about it and ask the Lord, you know, out of my friends, work colleagues, family, I want to pray for five. I'm going to write them down on a piece of paper. I'm going to shove that piece of paper in my Bible. I'm just going to pray for, pray for one of them each day, pray for all five of them every day, whatever's going to make it work for you. But I'm going to actually pray for people around me. Pray that the Lord will open their hearts to the gospel. Uh, let's think about building relationships. 
Firstly, with other Christians, and then with non-Christians. So spend some time with the Christian friends and invite your non-Christian friends along with them so that when you say, oh, actually, Brian and I are going to church on Sunday night and then there's going to be a barbecue afterwards, why don't you come along with us? Then they're not going to uh, take it completely by surprise. They'll think, oh, yeah, I got on well with Brian. We had a laugh last time we were out. Let's go do that. Um, Let's think about being a tent maker. Let's try and think of ourselves as tent makers. Now, not everyone, of course, is called to, as it were, be an evangelist or, or to set aside huge parts of their time for the gospel on top of work. But let's think of ourselves, if we're earning money, as people who are making tents for the Lord. How can I use what the Lord has put in my hands or in my bank account, in my wallet, for the gospel? Let's think seriously about that because we've got a world who need to know. We've got people who have been given to Jesus by the Father who need to hear the gospel. How can my money help that? Let's think about how we can invite. We had a guest service at our church this morning and we just do it every so often and I invited a few people. Um, One family came which I was absolutely delighted that they were there. Uh, A number of the people I invited didn't come but what was really encouraging was that the people who didn't come took it as a sign of interest and concern and friendship from me that I had invited them. So one of them texted back saying, I can't come, but bless you for thinking of me. Another one said, oh, well, I'll, I'll try and come. I can see that that subject could really hit the mark with me at the moment. So actually, it's a, it's a great sign of love to invite people. Let's not be afraid of it. Let's give it a go. more people we invite, uh, the more will come. And, uh, and let's also, just before we close, let's uh, just notice Paul spent, verse 11... A year and a half there teaching the word of God. Now, Paul was a hugely effective and fruitful gospel minister. And I reckon his year and a half is probably worth about a lifetime and a half to me of my ministry. And so if Paul bothered to hang around a year and a half and he was there in his terms for the long haul, And let's think as well, let's not give up too quickly. If we've been discouraged in the past, don't let it put us off from moving on in the future and keeping on praying, keeping on inviting, keeping on sharing. Let's be in it for the long haul. Let me just tell you uh, one little story, which uh, in a funny way just to encourage me, it's not really a Christian story, just uh, um, a news item about a guy called Dave Miller, who's a, a caster, Fisherman, and he brought in uh, this year's record catch of silver darlings over in Caister, uh, uh, the little herrings. And, and I thought, do you know what? All he had to do, I mean, you know, it's great to get a record, but what did he have to do? What an easy job. He just chucks his net out, sails around for a little bit, and hauls it in. That's all he has to do. What an easy job. But in a sense, that's our job as Christians, isn't it? If we just put out our net, the fish are there. If we tell people the gospel, we make the invitations, we pray for people, the Lord is with us. 
and he'll make our gospel ministry effective. And who knows who the Lord will bring to himself through our words. Should we just pray? Should we pray? Heavenly Father, we uh, do feel uh, ever so weak when we think of sharing the gospel with others. Uh, We think, who me? It can't possibly be me. I know I can't do this. I know that I've, um, I've messed it up so many times before. I know that my friends aren't interested. I know I can't really have an impact on anyone. But, Father, we thank you that none of this depends on us. It's the voice of the Good Shepherd in the word of the Gospel that draws people. It's the power of your Holy Spirit at work in their hearts, enabling them to believe. And it's the fact that the Lord is with us. That means we should keep on speaking and not be silent. Strengthen us, Lord. Give us a love and compassion for those around us, a desire for your glory, that we would keep on speaking and not be silent. For Jesus' sake, amen.